First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, Oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. You're tuned into what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call Earth. It is, of course, for Triple Z, be it on your conventional wireless radio, by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM, digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker, listening via the Community Radio Plus app, or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show for that matter using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. We also now have a weekly podcast of the show for your listening pleasure, a condensed version of the show without the music, which mum prefers. Just search for our show name, which is, of course, no idea spelled with a K, your weekly dose of science and joining me today to speak all things science are some of my favorite science communicators we've got v hello we've got peter in the studio it's me and we've got gabe streaming in good morning <laughs> morning max uh what do you got coming up this morning max i'm gonna talk about fingerprinting fingerprinting yeah i got some stuff on uh, some moths that make very weird sounds that they can't hear because they don't have ears uh and i've <laughs> got some stuff on uh, a study that came out that observed an increase in some conditions including cardiovascular conditions in people who have taken a COVID 19 vaccine mm. uh there's a lot of crap and a lot of good stuff bit of a mixed bag out on the internet at the moment about that study so we'll get into that a little later on in the show uh this there's what have we got we got Motor wrap coming up because the F1 season is heating up, and it I'm is. sure Max will have plenty to say because brum, brum. Drive to Survive hit Netflix <laughs> recently. Uh, we've got uh, space news coming up. We've got marine science coming up. On is it hunting, Peter? Hunting marlin or something? It's something about marlins. Yeah. Cool. There we go. I'm excited. Yeah. Who wants to kick us off? Gabe does. Beautiful. (laughs) Silence every week. (laughs) (laughs) We always love one Uh, second of dead air. (laughs) (laughs) Must have it in every show. It's a no idea. My weird science is earless moths that make sounds to uh to to combat bats effectively the 65 million year long evolutionary arms race as it's called Mm -hmm. between bats and moths is packed full of some of honestly the best stories that nature has to offer we've talked about some of them before on the show but there's there's like to to find the sort of echolocation and maneuverability and smarts of bats moths aren't just sitting there passively which are a big part of a lot of bats diets not sitting there passively just getting eaten they have evolved pretty incredible strategies to get away from bats they've got some of them have evolved like extra bits on their wings that sort of stick out at the tips that deliberately amplify the calls of the bat so the bat hits that bit of the wing takes it off and it sort of sacrifices it like the lizard tail strategy where they drop it some lizards drop it for like the, the bird that's attacking mm. it uh, some moths have evolved acoustic camouflage where their scales and wings are arranged in, in such a way that it actually damages 
dampens the, the calls of the bats so they blend into the background around them like acoustically and the bats can't hear them or see them because it's pitch black there's some that have evolved to bounce echolocation calls back at the bats in confusing ways so the bats can't locate them because the echolocation is feeding it false information and now there's another bo- a moth called the ermine moth which has evolved tiny wing structures that produce warning sounds themselves to scare bats away these moths themselves are uh, uh, some people call them deaf the researchers seem to be deliberately avoiding calling them they feel the vibrations anyway they, exactly right mm. so they probably can detect something but yeah. they're not they don't have ears they're not actively listening mm. um, so they're not aware probably of this unique defense mechanism or have the c- capability to sort of control it using deliberate muscular action they don't know when they're producing the sound with their wings but they are using it I've got a clip for you I for some reason couldn't find a, v- a version of it happening in live time that I could legally play for you over air but what I do have is from the paper uh, published in Biophysics and, and Computational Biology and your own Biology. reconstruction yeah, you're going to give us it? live yeah. is an acapella reconstruction construction of it. no, it's, uh, it's, the, the sound of it slowed down 25 times I think it's really hard to hear at normal speed so this is it slowed down 25 times pretty uninspiring stuff it right? is yeah. can you give but, us your inspired version then uh, maybe later uh, these <laughs> clips, uh, slow down 25 times yeah. and new research out of the University of Bristol QS ranking anyone no. oh this one's like oh surely um isn't wait no this is like 27 isn't it yeah I'm going for the 30s I think okay well I'll have to go 40 then 55 has discovered how the moths are making that noise. So we didn't know how they were doing this before. Mm. They have individual ridges of a corrugated patch in their wings, in their hind wings specifically. And as those wings fold in flight, the ridges snap together, sort of like drumsticks smacking together, vibrating an adjacent membrane, which amplifies the strength and direction of the sound they produce like a drum skin it's called timbal resonance and so they have this sort of snap effect and then it reverberates out over a bit of membrane and fires off this sound and what they've discovered uh is that uh, that uh moths including these my moths use acoustic signals as a defense against bat attacks they have a tiny structure on their hind wings which creates a powerful ultrasonic signal that jams the echo locating sonar of bats and that's my weird science for the week would that affect batman you reckon Oh, totally. I reckon. Yeah. I, I think Who's Bat- weak ass? Batman needs more enemies that are inspired from the crazy stuff that moths get up to. <laughs> Mothman. Is there so not something called yeah. moth? I, mm. Okay. I don't know. I'm not in DC Universe. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Um, I'm going to go next because, to be completely honest, I don't have a huge grasp on how they figured this one out, mm. but it is kind of interesting. So, they've just found out that Neanderthals started using glue earlier than we think in Europe. Were they sniffing it or? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's not the type of glue that we think of. So they call this a complex adhesive. Now, to mm-hmm. me, when I read that, I was thinking immediately like two-part epoxy, like something that you need two things to make sticky. Mm-hmm. That's not what's happening here. Okay. So what is actually happening here is that they found naturally occurring bitumen, which is extremely sticky, and then mixed that with ochre, which is type of clay, mm. which is not sticky. And then they put it to the certain amount that is just sticky enough to combine their stone tools with handles, but not so sticky that it sticks to their hands. Yes, okay. So a paste that, yeah. Yeah, which I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. It's not what I had in mind, but it, it's pretty cool. It's a cool thing to have, cool mm. glue like mm. that. Mm. And I was like, wow, that's amazing that this was in the middle Paleolithic period in somewhere called Le Moustier, which is about 120,000 to 40,000 years ago. So bloody long time. Mm. I was like, that's pretty impressive. And then right down the end of the article, they're like, oh, by the way, um, 
we have found use of complex adhesives in Africa before this. This is just the first time it's been found in Europe. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a little bit of a disappointment. <laughs> I thought it was the oldest, like the, fir- the oldest yeah. use of glue we've seen. Mm. It was not. That's I mean, not I feel true. Like they really baited you with that. It really was a bait and switch. The yeah. title says something. Wait, let me find the title. It says, uh, Did Neanderthals use glue? Researchers find evidence that sticks. That implies to me that we didn't know they did it before. Yeah. But we did, just not in Europe. That's how I'd read it. Thank you. So this is yet another warning to make sure that when you're writing your articles to ensure we're not taking a colonial point of view and we're looking at the <laughs> whole world because it really does feel like that when mm. you read this thing. And Mr. Stalin texted in, Gabe, about oh, the, vi- the moth vibration sound. Mm. And he said it sounded like a chicken riding a bicycle to me. Mm. The old we classic. <laughs> You tune into Four Triple Z, and the show is no idea. What do you got for us, Max? Well, the CSI study <laughs> was published in the Journal of American Chemical Society. Oh my God, <laughs> Jesus! Traditional forensic methods for detecting fingerprints use either toxic powders that can harm DNA evidence or environmentally damaging petrochemical solvents. The new dye spray developed by scientists at the Shanghai Normal University which has an unknown QS ranking, and the University of Bath QS ranking. 260. University of Bath? Yes. 84. Mm, Yeah, I'm going like 130. Yeah, see the closest. 148. Mm. This new dye spray is water-soluble, exhibits low toxicity, and enables a rapid visualisation of fingerprints. The team have created two different colour dyes, so they can use it on different coloured walls. Oh, one is I thought it was a, a just yellow. for aesthetics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one is red. I just like red. <laughs> <laughs> Which binds selectively with the negatively charged molecules found in fingerprints, locking the dye molecules in place and emitting a fluorescent glow that can be seen under blue light. The dyes are based on fluorescent protein found in jellyfish. Ayo. And there we go. It's, cool. been, it's been called green fluorescent protein, or GFP, which is used extensively by research scientists to visualise biological processes. This means the dyes are biologically compatible and do not interfere with subsequent DNA analysis of the fingerprints. Have you ever used some of that GFP, Peter? I don't happen to have it on hand, mm. no. It is when I tune back into the story, though, because it's very interesting. The fine spray prevents splashes that could damage fingerprints, is less messy than a powder and works quickly even on rough surfaces where it is harder to capture fingerprints, such as a brick. Professor Tony James from the Department of Chemistry at the University of Bath <laughs> said... <Just> a brick. <laughs> the single brick. This the is- mighty brick has brought down so many investigations. If many it wasn't for that pesky brick, I would never have been caught. <laughs> it's like the opposite of the wolf and the three pigs. Where it's like, a brick house? No, I'll never find the murderer. <laughs> Anyway, Tony James reckons the system is safer, more uh, sustainable and works faster than existing technologies and can even be used on fingerprints that are a week old. Having two different colours available means the spray can be used on different coloured surfaces. We're hoping to produce more colours in the future. 
and that's for aesthetics it. that time. Yes. Yeah, the first two were for necessity. The rest are just because we want a blue one. <laughs> Further work is still ongoing, and that is my weird science Amazing. for this week. That's awesome. What do you got Love for us, B? Um, what I've got is um, big crab news from New Zealand. Literally mm. big crab news. <laughs> so sad I missed this. So sad I missed this. Correct. Cannot believe it. <laughs> north or South Island? Um, north Island. So oh, that's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's horrible, isn't it? Um, anyway, so what paleontologists have done is they've found a giant crab on um, Waitoitoi Beach, which mm. is about 240 kilometres south of Auckland. Um, they've given it a new species name, um, Southern Giant Crab, or Pseudocarcinus, Carl Raubenheimeri. Um, and basically what's special about this crab fossil is that it has the largest claw. Oh, it's a fossil? Today. Yeah, yeah, it's a oh, crab mm. fossil. Okay, that makes me feel a bit better. If we, mm. there were like giant crabs walking around today and I uh, had missed them, in like the in pot. my home country, yeah. I would have been real mad. Yeah, no, this is an ancient crab, okay. um, just a really large ancient crab. Quite They're crabby. not as large as like contemporary crabs. So I think the largest contemporary crab is the Tasmanian giant crab, which has a large male claw measuring up to like 47 centimetres, I think. Holy! What? Yeah, I didn't so, even know that. That's huge. So in comparison, you know, What's it doing with that? my crab today is not that big. But, oh, you okay. know, it's a cool insight into what New Zealand, like ancient nymphs look mm, like. Before we went maybe underwater. Maybe exactly, completely. Exactly. We don't know. Mm. Yeah, well, Big this, guy, this guy was from the Miocene period, they're saying. Um, oh, okay. It's not too far um, away. And, yeah, they found him buried under, like, some volcanic sediment. So, oh, yeah. <gasps> I totally missed the opportunity to say I was crabby that I missed this. Oh. Oh, no. You're tuning into 4ZZZ, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, V, Gabe, and our friendly neighbourhood marine scientist, in the studio today... Who to still doesn't have an intro. <laughs> <laughs> How are we going? What have we got for us in the marine world? Okay, so I drove up here from the Gold Coast today because mm. I'm in person. And you know what's really funny? A marlin could have beat me. It's actually not true. That's not true. I don't want anyone thinking that for a second, mm. just in case you have t- turned off the radio. <laughs> a marlin could not have beat me because I don't know how long they can maintain speed for. Mm-hmm. But their yeah. top speed, they could have gotten clocked for speeding because mm. their top speed's 130 kilometres an hour. Really? That's through insane. the water? Yes, through the water. Well, the wa- not through the air. No. I don't know if people are measuring that. Roads, Max. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could get one faster if you went high enough, Max. Yeah, right. Can you imagine yeah. if it was like going through the ocean, like speed, 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 and then it yeah. jumped and somehow got faster? <laughs> like, how? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It like goes up into the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. No, but it is 130 kilometers an hour. In my opinion, mm. I think it's the fastest animal. Mm. The fastest animal technically is the peregrine falcon. Gabe, do you know how fast they can go off the top of your head? More than 130 kilometres an hour. Far more. It's close to 300 kilometres an hour. But it is, uh, it's not under their That's using own. gravity, though. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, them yeah, yeah. on a dive. Mm. A cheetah can mm. go, I think they said it was 50 or... No, it's, it's faster than that. Yeah, it's, so it's it was 50 miles, miles it, per it, hour. It's 100k, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, a cheetah can yeah, go 100k, yeah, which yeah. is obviously significantly below the marlin. Mm. So that is on its own power. Mm. But I don't know if anything on its own power can go as fast as I wonder as how a fast marlin. a cheetah would go in water. There you go. Slower, <laughs> I imagine, <laughs> given that it has to breathe. What about a peregrine falcon diving from the air into the water? And yes. It's still not under its own power. <laughs> it's got to be under its own power. The only thing that is that I All this think science might needs be, to be faster done. is... Uh, get on this. It's so important. So there's apparently a lot of research going into insect speeds. And they were like, oh, flies are really fast, like mm. above a marlin. 
but they said something like it's very difficult to measure the speed of an insect. I was like, is it? Why? Yeah, isn't aren't there also How? those little Why? critters that live in soil called um, springtails or something I that launch this. themselves at really high speed? Just because they're so tiny, you yes. can use. Okay. Yeah, just the proportional yeah. force they can generate is massive. Mm. I reckon they might be quicker than your marlins. They might be. Yeah, mm. see, I don't know. Insects, I think, might have the marlins beat. But of things you can, like, of significant animals, I'm mm. going to call them that, I think they're the fastest. Mm. So marlins are a type of billfish, which include some of the fastest animals in the ocean, sort of like sailfish, swordfish. It's the ones with the big, sharp nose. They look mm. like they're going to impale you. Yeah, aerodynamic. Well, hydrodynamic, okay. actually. Yeah. Well, we don't know. They could also be aerodynamic, but I think it's mainly hydrodynamic. That science needs to be done. Exactly. <laughs> we need to throw some marlins in the air and see how they go. Uh, and they're, like, as a group known for being speedy, there's actually previously been an insane amount of debate as to which billfish is the fastest between the sailfish and the marlin. I think it's largely been put to rest now because the only... There is no properly verifiable claims of them going faster than 130 kilometers an hour mm. where there is for the marlin. So the fastest rec- like proper recording mm. of a sailfish is 115 kilometers an hour. So mm. decent difference. Do they there. strap a GPS on them or something? Would they? How do they measure it? Do you know? You know, I don't know. I'm mm. pretty sure it's just like a speedo system. Mm. A lot of these are actually recorded by fishes as well. Or oh, okay. record how fast fish mm. going. Don't ask me how. I don't know. But mm. a lot of this, like citizen science data, comes from there. Right. So um, they, they could be making it up, really. That's mm. why I say verifiable and trusted mm. recordings. Mm. So a lot of fishermen have claimed that they've seen sailfish go faster. Okay. Or quite a few. This is why it's a big debate. Peer reviewed. But there's no, yeah, there's no peer reviewed <laughs> data of it. So we don't say that. <laughs> but something interesting was recently observed about the striped marlin specifically and it was published by some researchers in Humboldt University in Berlin QS ranking mm, uh, 200 345 uh, 100 120 good on you Gabe uh, for not not you guys didn't believe in the no, German. No, I was interested. <laughs> you really did. Lost in translation. Yeah. <laughs> so they found out that they change colour when they hunt. So marlins hunt, well, sometimes hunt in groups. They usually hunt in groups. And they'll sort of gather around a school of fish and then take turns having a stab at it. Literally. Literally, yeah. Just yeah. Mm. Although, to be fair, I did get asked mm. this question earlier today. They don't literally impale the fish. A lot of the times they'll just sort of like throw their head around, slap them silly, and then eat them. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. Because if you didn't pale it, like, what's your plan now? Yeah. You don't have opposable thumbs. Then Game over, man. Fish. You've just it's got just a fish on your bill. Just a bab on your, on your yeah, face. Like, it's not helpful. <laughs> it's not something you want. Um, so the researchers were filming this activity using drones, and they noticed that the marlin in the group that was actively attacking would sort of light up and become more brighter than, mm. much brighter than its peers. Mm. So you can, like, see the stripes more clearly I think is a good way of putting it. Do they glow UV? Or? No, no, it's just when I was watching the video, I mm. honestly thought it looked like they'd just swum sort of closer to the surface and into a patch of sun. Mm. That's what it looks like to your eye. It's okay. like all of a sudden I can see you clearer. Your stripes are clear, you're bright, you're beautiful. But they are, like this has been researched and looked at and they found that they are actually changing colour as they move towards the fish. It It almost looks like someone's put a filter on the video to increase the contrast when they get near the fish mm. that's it's that really so interesting, interesting to look at is there a reason well so this is the thing because when i was reading this i was like oh it doesn't sound like there's a reason it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, i thought it was interesting because yeah. i didn't know why they would do it and mm. i also actually didn't know that they could change color mm. according to the researchers color changing predators is rare 
generally, and it's especially rare in group hunting predators. So it wasn't something that they thought would happen. They did know that marlins change colour. It's just the first time that it's been linked to a social or hunting behaviour. Mm-hmm. So then this is where we get to the why bit. Like, why would you do that? This is the first time this has been observed. So I want to be clear that there's no firm or even approaching firm answers here. So They're just speculation. speculation. Yeah, okay. But they think it might have something to do with avoiding injury. So we mentioned yeah, that okay. long sword-like appendage that yeah. they have. And when they hunt, they kind of just like thrash around. They take wild turns. And as we mentioned at the start of the story, at very, very high speeds. Mm. So... They were like, well, how do they avoid injuring each other? Because they are taking turns, but like, how do they know whose turn? How do they avoid so slashing each other? So as each one comes up, they change colour? Yeah, and the okay. ones around it don't. don't. So okay. when you yeah. see in the video, the one that's near the fish or approaching the fish will be brightly striped and the ones directly around it are mm. sort of this more bluey grey. You can't see their stripes as well. The stripes specifically are the thing that goes like, pachow in yeah, the video. Yeah. Contrast, yeah. Yeah, and so they think what they might be doing is almost like indicating, like, Telling them, I'm going to attack now. I am attacking. Mm. Watch out because I'm going to be doing this and like get out of my way a little mm. bit. Which is kind of interesting because I think my first thought was, I wonder if that's partially why they're striped then. Because stripes would also help you identify like what direction something is going and how they're moving and that's things. So that's it's my speed. own speculation. Yeah, uh, that's not backed up mm. by anything. But I thought it was interesting that the thing that became more prominent was their stripes. Nice. Mm. Mm. I wonder if there's anything about freaking out the fish too. A lot of predators would stunning stuff them. That sort of stunning yeah, yeah, absolutely. It would, be really it would not be surprising if it is. Mm. Um, I had a question earlier this morning as when I was thinking about the story and writing it as to like, well, wouldn't the fish just then go, oh, that one's striped. I'm going to swim away from that yeah. one. I don't think so because, I mean, they probably do realise that that is the one that's attacking because it's striped. But I think the way that the marlins hunt is so they like literally surround the school of fish and given that schools already have that defense mechanism of just swimming in a really tight ball i think honestly they're probably just relying on that Mm. and i don't know whether swimming away would even really help them well Mm. for the fish isn't that a bit like oh us saying oh no the cheetah's gonna run at me and try and eat me i'm gonna try and run away now yeah yeah like what's Mm. the point i'm dead anyway yeah yeah i think like often what marlin do is they'll they'll sort of group around a small school of fish and mm. they just stick with that until there's none left. Yeah, exactly. You are not getting away from that. There's almost nothing yeah. left I, in the I, school. So I wonder if it's... Yeah, I wonder what the fish think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's anything good. I don't think they're like, oh, my death approaches. <laughs> <laughs> Won't be long now. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, that's so cool. It's like a dance circle. It is. Honestly, I highly recommend looking at the video. Maybe yeah. we'll put it online because it is really cool. Dance circle of death. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and fish guts. Because yeah. dinosaurs did not go extinct. We know that. No, not dinosaur- Many dinosaurs went extinct, but mm. dinosaurs did not go extinct. We have them all around us. They're called birds. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I just like to really mm. lay down the law there. As a marine scientist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a marine scientist, I'm here to talk to you birds. about birds. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The fish of the And it air. may have not been a yeah. may have not been a meteorite. <laughs> <laughs> fish of the air. You're tuning to Four Triple Z and the show is No Idea with me, Max, V, Peter, and Gay. And I just put Peter's rolled in with uh, the green and gold on. What's going on? Because the Tillies are playing tonight. I slept <laughs> in green and gold. I literally like I cannot tell you how excited I am mm. that the Matildas are playing tonight. The last game on Saturday was incredible. Mm. It was, you know, they strung us along. 3-0. Yeah, yeah. yeah, strung yeah. us along right until the end and then yeah. just three 
bangers. Yes. Absolute bangers. Yeah. It was incredible. Cool. I had such a good time. We went to the pub and then because there were so many people in the pub that were there for the tillies, they put it on the big screen. Nice. And I was like, hey, oh, I'm doing my part for women's sport. <laughs> <laughs> okay, where's your segue? Well, my segue, oh my God. Okay, and as I do feel. my part for women's sport, you <laughs> so can do your part for community <laughs> radio. There you go. Sorry, Gabe, but you do it. So, yeah, we rely on subscriptions at 4ZZZ, so we thought we'd take the opportunity just to mention that if you go to our website or ring up downstairs the reception on 073252 you can talk to Steve down there. He'll take your subscription there. Or you can go onto the website at 4zzz.org.au forward slash support. And subscribe for as little as $20 for your pet, right up to $500 if you want to become a super sub and get your name on the wall downstairs. And can you gift a sub to someone? You can. I thought you could. Yeah. Maybe someone wants to gift our Tillies a sub for oh, as a good luck go. thing for the game Wouldn't tonight. that be cool the request comes up and just says Matilda's on it? Oh, it'd be amazing. Mm. I wonder what's... <laughs> What song would they Alana request? Kennedy would like you to play Strawberry Kisses. Or <laughs> <laughs> Steph Catley more, actually. That's, right. that's Steph's song. That's right. So there you go. And you can go into the monthly draw. Yeah, still one is, more day. Uh, three subscribers will get who subscribe during February will get a whole month of climbing at nine degrees gyms. They uh, do. And they've got two, strong. two locations climbing. across Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be cool. And if you and go there and you get on. strong, maybe you'll be on the Matildas one day. Mm. That's it. And yeah. I have it on good authority that uh, if you subscribe during the month of February or March or any month, you also do get your warm inner green and gold glow. <laughs> there you, you do. Go. <laughs> How do you quantify that? Do you know? Or? Amount of <laughs> merch, maybe. Amount of, <laughs> Amount of merch that you're personally, that you, you're drawn to. Fair enough. Sick of carrying a boombox everywhere you go, but miss your beloved 4ZZZ shows when you leave it behind? Get the Community Radio Plus app from your phone's app store now. Now It's 15% smaller than the average app And packed with at least 500 times more attitude 500 times more independent journalism 500 times more local and Aussie music 500 times more representation of subcultures Download Community Radio Plus and save for Triple Z and Z Digital as favourites Using this little red heart icon now But wait, there's more if you install Community Radio Plus in the next 5 minutes, you will get a free dose of warm inner glow. Get Community Radio Plus from your app store now. You tune into 4 Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, V, Peter, Gabe and Maximilian because we're going to do a bit of this. Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to 4ZZZ just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science careers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I will keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand the mic to Max and I'm not talking Van Staffen. Lights out and away we go. And the person that did that song, Jay, unfortunately aren't here today, but they did win a trophy in ballroom. Did, yes, in he did. On he the did weekend. a big trophy, big trophy, a very, very big trophy <laughs> him. from a very, very big ball. It looks incredible. <laughs> we are so all cool. so proud of him. Yeah. It took the train amazing. to get there, right? Yeah, around the yeah because he went to Sydney yeah. during yeah. Taylor Swift, Mardi Gras and a bunch of <laughs> other things, but at least he's coming home with a trophy. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you would have seen Sail GP on the weekend, Peter and Gabe? We did. We went mm. down to watch it. We saw Australia win, which is quite fun. It was amazing, wasn't it? Like, really good uh, race. They set the tone early by winning the first fleet race, and then they sort of backed it off a bit. And they managed. A bit. <laughs> a bit splitting it like they were in the back of the pack. We were watching it like, mm, we're going to start so anytime good. soon, guys. <laughs> Didn't want to show their hand too early. No, it was strategic. That's but, what it was. But they accrued enough points to go into Sunday's final race mm. uh, against Denmark and New Zealand, who are the other top teams in the Sail GP yeah. competition, um. flying the F50s, which are a big catamaran, a 50-foot catamaran, and uh, using foils and sails that are pretty... Um, they can go up to 100k an hour, They're apparently. incredibly fast. Yeah. Incredibly, incredibly fast. They're actually so fast. when And because the material of the sail mm. is really odd, it's, it's not like as fast as very Marlon, rigid. But, not yeah. as fast as a marlin no mm. a marlin could outpace them still mm. but when you're near enough to the boats you can actually hear the wind squealing as mm. it goes through the sails which mm. is crazy i don't know why they don't put that on the tv you yeah, should yeah. it's like and you're like oh my god what is that and they say <laughs> when the fo- when the foils are running through the water that they're, they're actually boiling the water in front of them it's so fast yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's that's incredible. amazing yeah, isn't that yeah Bathurst 500. Very weird to watch, Sorry. though. Yeah. The, the, very weird to watch because it's, it's very hard to pick the course unless you know that what's going on. That course was like specifically difficult need, as well. You kind of need the, the commentary as you go. One of the people we went with uh, at one point, after the first race we watched, Max, we, yeah. um, like they sort of they go down. They come off the foils because they're up in the air on their foils during the race. They come down and they just sort of potter around afterwards and sort of head back towards the start line to the, for the next race, which usually is like 15 minutes away. Hmm. And we went over and um, one of the people we were with thought the race was still going. They'd just come off their foils. Because <laughs> there's not really like a moment of like, yes. yeah, they're definitely done unless yeah, you know exactly yeah. where yeah. they are. I will yeah. say it's but, one of the uh, better races to watch on TV. Yes. They've done a really yeah. good job of helping people see the course and mm. all of the different speeds. Like the the graphics they've put on the water actually mm. really helpful i think anyone can watch that on tv they've made it really accessible which is sure. quite cool yeah not so much when you're standing at the harbor edge and just watching them go around you're like what direction where's the gate what <laughs> like, where are they, they it's a little difficult. <laughs> oh yeah they were all red gabe and i were looking at one and we were like oh god that must be canada and then one went past with a giant yes. canadian leaf and we're like no, actually, i think that one's oh, canada <laughs> one, oh, yes. <laughs> no, that one's probably canada <laughs> The Vassar's 500 happened on the weekend as well. That was the start of the supercar series for 2024. Races 1 and 2 have now been completed. And it was won by Red Bull. Does this sound familiar? Anyway, Sunday... Is there anything they can't win? (laughs) sound familiar at all. I don't know what's going on. Saturday's race was won by Brock Feeney. And the Sunday's race was won by Will Brown. Now, I've got a bit of Ferrari trivia. I was hoping Izzy would be here today. for the, She likes to have a bit of trivia up mm. her sleeve good. for pub night. Um, so, who are the Formula One world champions who have never driven for Ferrari? You on to this mm. game at all? Well, uh, Lewis Hamilton would be one because he's moving there next Soon year. Soon to be, yes, true. Yep. Max Verstappen, uh, I would say. That would be a good bet. Yep. Uh, and then What's I- the naked guy that you had on the calendar? That's yeah, my guess. Yeah, he's but he's never champion. world champion. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that's yeah. the best I got, really. That's all I know. <laughs> <Just try. laughs> he's the champion of our hearts. Yeah. Is he? <laughs> We've got Australian Jack Brabham. He never raced for Ferrari. We've got Scottish uh, driver Jackie Stewart. We've got Senna never drove for Ferrari. Yeah, Ed and Senna yeah. never drove for, 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 for Ferrari. And the other one is Nelson Piquet. So there you go. There's the names. Anyway, this weekend is in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. What did everyone think about testing? A bit of a... No one was worried about that. It was just a bit of sandbagging going on. Well, yeah. I, was, I was impressed by the uh, lack of tyre wear on the Ferrari. Yes. 
So they might have good race distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter, yeah, nothing. I think, so, Max life, looked at us and we're just blank. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually like, what does everyone think? And V and I are just it's, sitting here absolutely glazed. <laughs> to be honest, it's probably the right response. They're in, a year, they go through generations in F1 of like mm. big rule changes. This is year three. So mm. everyone's pretty set at the moment. They're pretty happy. They're sort of copying what the winners did last year a little bit. Yeah. And the winners are trying out some new stuff, which is probably going to put them ahead of the pack again. So if you're going into this year and you haven't paid attention and, you, and were following in the last few years, you're probably going to see the same thing uh, that you saw in the last few years. Hopefully that's wrong, but a uh, very similar look. And so the testing was sort of confirming that for a lot of people. Uh, there was nothing else really exciting to pull out of it everyone everyone turned up everyone were, had their b stuff ready to go everyone performed decently everyone seemed to be holding back what their full potential was so yeah we'll see what happens on the weekend well if you want to get up at 1am on sunday brisbane time you can see what happens on the weekend for the race uh but Tempting. otherwise maybe the replay is better on <laughs> sunday yeah yeah, uh, yeah you're not going to stay up for that are you probably not <laughs> <laughs> what do you got to offer maxi no i think uh i think what gabe said is yeah, basically the long and short of it. I think it is interesting how Alpine have slipped back, though. I think that was a bit of a shock. Mm. That they, they seem now firmly towards the tail end of the midfield, if not at, actually at the back of the group with Haas. So I think that was a bit of, I guess, probably the one disappointment to come out of testing. But they could be hiding their true pace, but they do seem just generally down on power. Mm. So we're thinking it'll be just the top three, or oh, and Aston, I guess. So Aston, Ferrari. Yeah, that's yeah. I think I think it's hard to pick between like Aston, Mercedes, and McLaren. Right. I think it's really hard to pick at the moment. Yeah. And you think the top two then will be Red Bull and Ferrari? Yes, and hopefully closer. But it sounds like Verstappen's still in a bit of a league of his own, even next to Perez in the same car. Now so. I, saw, I saw this great graphic on Reddit F1. And, you know, of all the drivers there, so they've got 20 drivers on the grid at the moment, 11 of them have won a race. It's pretty impressive, Gabe. Mm -hmm. and well, nine haven't, which isn't very impressive. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, good. it's better yeah. than previous years have had. Yeah, for sure. Now, who do you think had the fewest races before he won a race, a Formula 1 race? How many times he entered before he won a race? Surely someone's won on their first. Tell me. Tell me someone's won on their first ever race. They may have, but not in this list because it's just current F1 drivers. Uh, Sorry. Hamilton, anyway. It took six races before he won his first race. And at the other end, Perez, he took 190 races before he won his first F1 race. There you go. If you... um. If you are someone who's tuning into Formula 1 for the first time since last year or the last few seasons, the one other big thing that you probably will notice uh, that that caught me by surprise, Max, mm. is that one of the teams has changed colour, uh, which I thought was going to be a great moment. It, it's um, the Alfa Romeo team. It's now called Kick Sauber, uh, <laughs> and they've gone to a black and green colour, Max, which of all the colours they could have changed, I get it's probably Kick, whatever Kick is, it's probably their brand colour. But they've picked, they've now picked another color that's already on the grid which is the green aston martin we have had a long-running thing on the show about how we how we hate all of the teams looking the same. a few yeah the absolute same. it's so hard to follow if you're new to the sport mm. because it's uh, they're either white and blue or or dark blue and red like they're all ridiculously similarly colored and then there was a few different colors they got removed and so they changed color and they're going green and match the aston martin they should have anyway. a thing like in cars where the winner gets a special color paint yes so i remember that <laughs> Gold, silver, bronze. <laughs> <laughs> and you can wear that colour around for a year. <laughs> 
I actually don't remember uh, uh, specifically Cars. I didn't pay attention to that part of Cars, to be honest. <laughs> and finally, the number 77 report, the flying fin Valtteri Bottas has commented on the 2024 Kick Sauber F1 car, its codename C44. After last week's pre-season testing, he feels the team has finally cured an issue that played the C42 and 43 in previous years. The issue is high-speed stability while cornering. With that resolved, the C44 is ready to challenge some of the higher-speed circuits of the year. So what are the, some of the higher-speed circuits? We've got Baku. Any other circuits, Maxi? Uh, Spa. Spa. Yep. Uh... I should know this off by heart. So we should see Bottas up there. Myself. That's all right. And meanwhile, <laughs> the Phoenix, Roman Grosjean, has been on his YouTube channel spruiking about how impressive the M Mercedes F1 car looks. And he goes on to say, I think it is the car with the Red Bull I'm the most intrigued to see on track. I think there's some bold, very bold moves. There are some very bold decisions made on the car. Look at that front wing and that big scoop. And they, we don't know if that front wing's actually legal yet, do we? There's, a bit There's of... some question about it. Yeah. yeah. It, I reckon they'll get away with it. It doesn't seem that controversial. Mm. And it, especially considering that the front wing is like a part that the teams can manufacture pretty easily. Mm. It was a bit more egregious when Mercedes rocked up and their steering wheel could go back and forth. That's a lot of engineering effort. But if it's in terms of like actually designing a front wing, incorporating those elements, that's something that the other teams could catch up on if this is like a loophole or something to that effect. And you think the Mercedes is reminiscent of the 2006 F1 car that they had, which he fell in love with. So, Is that the McLaren he's talking about then? Maybe. Maybe. Back in 06? Yeah. yeah. They went for he, a... He, yeah, go he's, he's just trying to get the seat, isn't he? He's on Hamilton's seat. <laughs> Showing a bit of love, Roman Grosjean. And we'll see Roman Grosjean racing an IndyCar later this year. Anyone else got any more for the Mudderat for this week, the second last day of February 2024? I have nothing. <laughs> v and I are sitting here. We're just exchanging yeah. faces. We're having a great time outside of it. It's gone a bit mushy. Gabe, anything from Sydneyland? No. Okay. Oh, I've got one. I have got one. <laughs> I have got one. Apple have cancelled their electric car. Oh, what? I understand what? that's not motorsport, but that's, yeah. No, that's better. Thank you. Let's move on to this. <laughs> What's happened? They just decided to pull the plug. Again? But that's it, the, the third time. Yeah. So everyone's now been retasked onto just general AI stuff by the sounds. Oh. Uh, I wonder if it's got to do with their... They recently dropped their goal of full autonomy. Hmm. I think because... Full they autonomy gives that. you legal. Well, a yeah. they couldn't reach it, but b you've got so many legal problems with that. You can't mm. claim something's fully autonomous because then you are at Liable. fault if anything happens. Yep. So I, mm. I think that's probably why they dropped it. And then I assume they just want well, other people are doing this. They only like to do things if they know they can do them perfectly, and that they're the only people who are going to be doing it at that point in time. Are we speaking about Apple here? Or what? yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> to an extent, that's that's their their goal. I'm not saying they always do it. You're right. Okay. But they always like to, especially with new whole new products, not so much new software or new parts of products, but mm. whole new products. They like to have a new thing that they do. So yeah, that's interesting. You tune into Four Triple Z, and the show is No Idea with me, Max V, Peter. What do you got for us, Gabe? 
What I've got for you, Max, is, uh, well, in the week since our last show, a paper came out that was tracking certain health conditions across 99 million people who received a COVID-19 vaccine, either the, the three we know, the AstraZeneca, the Moderna, and the Pfizer. Uh, it included the people in Australia and New Zealand and about six other Western countries. The paper caused a bit of a stir, which is what I got for you now, mm -hmm. Max, because mm -hmm. some corners of the internet picked up on... The, the findings of it, which was that, amongst other things, there was an increased rate of, of conditions like myocarditis, which is inflation of the heart muscle in people post-vaccination that was above the background rate of people who wouldn't receive the vaccine and didn't get COVID, the sort of expected rate you would get in a non-COVID world. But yeah, there was just, like a lot of things, it got pulled dramatically out of context. So what I want to do is just quickly go through the key findings that this paper had, because it's huge. We used to do a COVID report every morning on this show, and... Um, this is a, like a study, like this dropping during that would have just been the whole bulletin max. 99 million people they studied in this in a big observational study. So the, the classic caveat that the first big thing is this is just correlation, not causation. They're just taking a big data set and looking for trends. What they, mm. they, they call this are vaccine safety signals. They go, if something is happening substantially above what we expect the background rate of this condition to be, we're just going to flag it in this study. And then it's the job of future studies to figure out if there's causation there or if there's minimization strategies you can use, if there's potentially like a certain small group of people who... Yeah, that's right. Just defining research paths, yeah. Mm. yeah exactly. Yeah, so yeah. it's just it's just this like uh, warning signal of, oh, this mm. seems a bit higher than we expected. Let's see what we do across mm. 99 million people. Um, so you're almost <laughs> bound to find study. something, right? Mm. If you, with any sort of, of, of medical intervention, you're bound to find some sort of effect. If you look at 99 million people in a whole bunch of different conditions, what they found was broken across the AstraZeneca vaccine and the two mRNA vaccines because they're different strategies. So the AstraZeneca vaccine, they saw an increase in the Guillain-Barr syndrome, which is immune system attacks, uh, when your immune system attacks your nerves, as well as an increase in cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, which is a type of blood clot in the brain. Those two we knew about. So this was just confirming that. We also knew about these two in the mRNA vaccines, pericarditis, which is swelling of the thin sac covering the heart, and myocarditis, which is inflation of the heart muscle. They also found a newer, a two, two new ones actually, uh, acute disseminator encephalomyelitis, which is a big way of saying inflammation and swelling in the brain and spinal cord from the AstraZeneca and one of the mRNA vaccines, the Moderna one. Mm. Uh, and in a follow-up study on Australians specifically just for the AstraZeneca vaccine, they found an uh, extremely small increase in transverse myelitis, spinal cord inflammation. Just, I want to put these in context, right? So they did find some some increases across a couple different parts of what we'd be looking for as health effects across the neurological stuff, the cardiovascular stuff. They, the, the increases they found there were very, very small. In the follow-up study, the one where they just looked at 6.8 million Australians who received the AstraZeneca vaccine, they found that the risk of the acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, which is the inflammation in the brain and spine, was 0.78 cases for every million doses. Uh, for the transverse myelitis, okay. which was just the swelling of the spinal cord, the case, there was 1.82 cases per million doses. Mm. Like that's, it's just a huge study that can pick up effect sizes that are in this one case per million dose range. Not to say that it's not something that's important to look at, but just to put it in perspective, these are minute mm. increases. What, what, what would be a significant number for a million? For a million cases, well, I can tell you, Max, from some of the, the numbers we have for getting COVID and mm. what that does for some of these conditions. So mm. data, uh, this is from Associate Professor Vinud 
Romanium, uh, a molecular virologist who leads an infection and immunity research group at Monash University in Malaysia, said data underscores that the likelihood of experiencing a neurological event following COVID-19 infection is markedly higher, up to 617 times compared to post-vaccination occurrences. So mm. massively higher for neurological mm. conditions mm. like getting COVID versus having a vaccine. Similarly, the risk of myocarditis, he says, is greater after uh, a COVID-19 infection than following vaccination, with statistics in indicating a risk of 35.9 cases per 100,000 individuals after the second vaccine dose, compared to double that, of roughly double that, 64.9 per 100,000 after contracting COVID-19. So just massively higher in the COVID-19, post-COVID-19 infection groups than we've seen in this study on the post-vaccination groups. Um, the Guillain-Barre syndrome also six times higher after COVID-19 infection compared to post-vaccination for COVID-19, uh, which is itself only a 0.41 times higher risk than the standard background rate. So really, really small increases in incidences of these conditions. And every single medical expert I've seen quoted against this story has said definitely still get vaccinated unless you've been given very clear advice from a health professional hmm. not to for uh, specific conditions that you may have. And yeah, just to, to recap where the Australian vaccinations are at, most people... Uh, most adults should have had at least one vaccination by this point, according to the latest advice from the Australian government. People over 65 should probably have received, or recommended is the wording, to have received their second dose. I think most adults have actually received a second dose, not just in that age range. And then if you're in a high risk group, or if you're in uh, the elderly group, which I believe is 75 and above, there's the option to get a third one there as well. You can get a vaccine six months after you've had your last, uh, get a booster six months after you've had your last one. So just recapping, this, this, this paper did come out. It did find increases in these different conditions post-vaccination with AstraZeneca, Moderna or Pfizer, but they were as, like, I, they were tiny, yeah. really, really mm. small increases. We're talking a couple cases per million doses. Mm. Um, they also just, they looked at it across first, second, third and fourth dose for this cohort. And a lot of the elevated rates of these cases were after the first dose. So it's definitely not something to get in the way if you're getting booster doses because they did find that increase tended to be more after the first dose than after the second, third or fourth. Uh, so yeah. It did come out, there was a small finding, so if you hear someone talking about it, there is some truth to the fact that there was a small elevated risk of some of these conditions, like neurological conditions, cardiovascular conditions. But uh, emphasis but on the word small. Yes, right. Extremely tiny. Extremely tiny and pales in comparison to the same conditions and more conditions on top of that that get an elevated risk of if you get COVID-19 itself, particularly if you get it without being vaccinated. So yeah, that's, the, that's my story for the week. What happened to the X thirty seven A? Well, mm. Mm. we don't talk about that. Asking a big question. <laughs> yeah, there's just a red dot on my head. As I <laughs> 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 the show is no idea. We're going to do a bit of space news with me, Max, V, Peter, and Gay. No idea. Space news. Intuitive machines. The I am a one mission. They've called it Odie. Odie is the nickname. Made it to the lunar surface, but it's sort of uh, hit sideways and went on a bit of a tilt oh but it was enough solar and enough antennage to phone home and send some images but it will soon be peace out because it's time on the lunar surface is going to come to an end but they did have a soft landing job done from a private company oh yeah i saw this is the mm. first time a private company's gotten to the correct moon. yeah and i saw something recently last mm. night that some i don't know actually what they're 
I don't know what that area of science is called, yeah. but some people, you know how we've entered the Holocene in on Earth because right. humans have started making enough of a enough of a racket, racket yeah, yeah, enough enough <laughs> of an impact that you can now see it in the soil. So yeah. that's how we know yeah. when the Holocene started. Mm. And so they wanted to have, I don't know what they're calling it, it's something like Holocene. They basically want to make a Holocene on the moon because they're like, from now, mm. there will be a difference. So that you've entered a new era on the you moon gotcha. yeah, yeah. from the Holocene of the moon. I can't remember. There was a name for it. That's mm. really interesting. Isn't my memory great for today's mm. show? <laughs> so useful. But oh, it was cool. A lunar scene. That. Lunar scene. That was it. No, oh. wait. No, that wasn't. <laughs> lunar ho- Hang on. I'll look it up. Thank you. Continue. The Japanese lander called Slim. It has reawoken from its lunar slumber. So it, it, it landed upside down. So it did a face plant. And the, lo- the solar panels weren't pointing towards the sun. So it had to wait a while for the sun to shine on it. And it woke up for a couple of days and then had to go back to sleep because the lunar night fell on moon. And uh, it had to put up with uh, ne- minus 130 degrees Celsius. But it survived, apparently. And it woke up recently and phoned home. But that won't last for too much longer. But as far as JAXA, the Japanese aerospace, aeronautics, whatever is concerned, the mission is now complete. It managed to get rid of its two rovers that it had on board. It managed to do some science. So it's ticked a lot of boxes. So job done. It was just the lunar Anthropocene, by the way. No, there was no creativity there. And I <laughs> implore those who are in this field to really dig a bit deeper. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, Ingenuity. We spoke about Ingenuity. Uh, it managed to do 72 flights, which far exceeded every expectation that J, um, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory had and NASA had for it. And now, and us, and us. Mm. Well, no, not no far. Idea we, we mm. one person, one said person, 69. So did. only a little bit exceeded mm. our expectations. Well done, but Izzy. Did exceed yeah. our expectations. <laughs> but now they've they've shown that one of the blades separated from the aircraft so it can never fly wow. again so Uh-oh. it's game over for ingenuity and game over for space news this week unless anyone mm-hmm. else has some space news to offer All up I saw Max was that the, the so NASA did some modeling of the uh, the DART spacecraft they launched yes the sort of, they uh, hit the asteroid knocking an asteroid off course yeah it is a modeling of of the impact that they successfully had in september 2022 and they found that there was sort of it was a bit curious because they thought they'd leave a i think everyone would expect you'd leave a bit of a crater in the thing you hit mm-hmm. with the with the spacecraft mm. and you knock it off course they shortened its pe- uh, orbital period around earth by 33 minutes the asteroid it's called an asteroid moon going around earth uh, but they found that they actually just dented it and, and sort of reshaped the entire bit of rock by crashing into it. They didn't leave a little crater mark. They mm. simulated what had happened, and they just dented dented an asteroid flying around Earth um, with with their little dart like spacecraft. Like Play-Doh? Is that what... Like, I, I think so. I think they've reshapen the, the asteroid itself, which wasn't very big. It's mm. not one that actually is going to put us under threat. Uh, it's proof of concept. But, yeah, they just they dented an asteroid rather than left a little hole in it. So off to the panel beaters. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> you tune into four triple Z. The show is no idea, but not for much longer. Sign us out, Gabe. That is all we have time for this week. We'll be back on your airwaves ten to twelve next Wednesday morning. Thank you, Max. Thank you, V. And thank you, Peter, for your stories this week. And thank you for tuning in. You can get the show back on the Four Triple Z website. Listen back to it there with all the music, uh, or you can find it on the Four Triple Z podcast. Look for Four Triple Z. No idea. No with a K to get the version of us yammering on without any of the music in between. And we'll speak to you next week. See you next week. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. Science. science.